It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome to MLB Extras. I'm Allison Footer. We are here for the Angels podcast with our beat writer, Maria Gardado. Maria, um, this is uh, the, the offseason tends to be sometimes as busy as the regular season, just minus baseball games. And I think that the Angels um, should probably be staying in the news for a little bit, as uh, certainly while they're searching for a new manager, which has not taken place in a really, really long time. So now that Mike Sosha has officially announced that he is not coming back. Um, where are they in the managerial search? And do you see any front runners, anybody who might be a favorite among the front office to maybe nab that job? They definitely are getting closer to kind of finding, you know, Mike such a successor. Uh, they have completed their first round of interviews in which they uh, spoke with 10 candidates. Um, it's kind of unclear at this point uh, who has advanced to that second round. Um, you know, the Angels have been trying really hard to keep this under wraps and aren't, you know, confirming the candidates. Um, but we do know that some of the guys who have interviewed for sure are um, Brad Osmus, uh, obviously a former manager of the Tigers, who is now in the front office as a special assistant to GM Billy Epler, Eric Chavez, who is also a special assistant. Um, and then in terms of external candidates, Brandon Hyde, a uh, bench coach for the Cubs, and uh, Joe Spada, uh, the Astros bench coach, um, are among the, the guys who are believed to be active candidates at this point. Um, an interesting name that, that just came to light uh, recently was Omar Vizquel. Uh, obviously a longtime infielder, uh, you know, defensive whiz, uh, who revealed in a podcast, uh, Talk Baseball podcast, that he was interviewed for, for the position, though he was no longer in the running. But, um, you know, I, in listening to his interview on that podcast, it was really interesting because he kind of gave his perspective on going through this really long interview with the Angels, which included this two-hour written exam that John Morose has written about. Um, and it, so it's pretty clear that the Angels are being really, really rigorous in evaluating their candidates. You know, they, they definitely want someone who is kind of anal- analytically inclined um, and kind of knows how to, you know, as Billy Elber said, he's kind of looking for someone with a probability-based mindset, uh, you know, someone who kind of understands how to weigh the odds when they're, you know, making in-game decisions. So the Angels are definitely being very thorough. Um you know, so it's going to be interesting to see who the, who they end up choosing to to fill their managerial vacancy at this point. Yeah, so Chavez, um, I think everybody, the alarm bell started going off, right? So when the news kind of came out with a few weeks left in the season that Mike Sosha probably wasn't coming back, and then Eric Chavez, wasn't he moved to to start managing the AAA team? And uh, it almost seemed like it was an audition. Uh, would you say that he's got a, an inside edge, or do, we just don't know at this point? I think that he definitely is just in the sense that not only because of, you know, that. So, yeah, when that report about Mike Sosha, you know, planning to step down came out, you know, literally the next day, you know, the the Salt Lake Bees, the, the Angels AAA affiliate announced that um, that Keith Johnson would be the, their manager would be joining the Angels Major League staff and Eric Chavez would be taking over as the interim manager for the final month of the season. And it was just very strange optics. You know, the timing of the announcement, uh, the Angels kind of just said that the decision was driven was was mainly because they wanted Johnson to kind of come on board the Major League staff and work with some infielders that they were going to be calling up, namely Taylor Ward, you know, guys like that. 
Um, but, you know, it definitely seemed like, you know, Eric Chavez was kind of getting a little bit of some, you know, was going to be I mean, potentially groomed to be the next Angels manager, especially because he had no uh, formal managerial experience at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's clearly, it's, it's, you know, Eric Chavez is definitely highly regarded by this, by Billy Upler, who, you know, those two guys have had a relationship since Eric Chavez uh, played with the Yankees uh, towards the end of his career. Um, and he was one of the first guys that Epler hired when he was uh, when he came in to be the Angels gem. So those guys definitely have kind of a longstanding relationship. And I'm sure there's a lot of trust between them. So it, it's definitely understandable that he's viewed as one of the front runners, um, you know, but, you know, his he doesn't really have any managerial experience aside from that, you know, short stint with at, you know, managing the triple A team. So. Um, you know, of course, that hasn't precluded, that hasn't prevented, you know, other man, uh, other managerial candidates with other teams from getting these positions. You know, you look at guys like Aaron Boone, who came from the broadcast booth and then took over the the, the Yankees managerial posts. So it's not unprecedented. So you know, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that you know, Osmus also has a pretty good shot. You know, he was someone who came in. Last fall, after the the Tigers didn't renew his contract and kind of joined this front office, and he was frequently on the road with the team. He was always, uh, you know, kind of seen with Billy Upler. So, you know, he's someone who definitely, you know, has worked in front offices, um, kind of has that blend of, you know, having played, have, you know, knowing some scouting, knowing some al- analytics. He's definitely a smart guy. He went to Dartmouth. Um, so, you know, I think they have a couple of really strong internal candidates, uh, I, I believe, but. Um, they're also obviously going to take into consideration some external guys like Brandon Hyde and Joe Spada, who, have, who are also contenders for a bunch of other managerial spots at this point. What did you think about that report about the two-hour test? Did that strike you as odd? I mean, I think once I read uh, Morosi's uh, column and it really spelled out the reasons why they were doing this, it, it made a lot of sense. Um, I know that back in the old days, they used to have these these weird tests that they'd have a potential employees, that teams would have potential employees take just to see where they would fit in. Um, how really just what kind of well-adjusted person they were to be able to work among others. <laughs> um, but what did you think of this like two hour written test? You know, it personally didn't really strike me as that unconventional. I mean, I feel like a lot of people were kind of joking about it, like, oh, you know, bring your number two pencils. But um, <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you want to see, uh, you know, I, I think it's it's a good way to kind of see someone, how someone works through problems, you know, and you know, obviously, in a in a written format, it's it's different than just kind of doing it on the spot when when you're asked about it. Um, you know, in kind of a more conversational uh, assessment. So, yeah, I mean, and, and I, you know, two hours seems pretty pretty rigorous. So, um, you know, I, I I would love to see what kind of questions are featured in the exam, um, and you know how everyone graded out on that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it definitely makes sense. I mean, it, like I said, I think that you want to kind of assess, you know, someone's someone's you know. So the way that people kind of process the, the these queries and things like that. So I thought it was kind of cool, personally. Yeah, no, I, I think it probably makes sense given what uh, managers are expected to do these days. And if you're going to have um, any kind of discrepancy in your philosophies in terms of using advanced metrics, um, this is probably the time to figure that out. So, yeah, I don't... Uh, uh, yeah, and I guess, you know, from now on, we won't be able to say, well, the manager, you know, he's not that he's not all that bright because... Um, if he's not, then he's probably not passing a two-hour test. So, um, yeah, <laughs> just they kind of go hand in hand, I guess. Um, let's move on to, you know, off-season plans. I mean, you know, when you talk about the Angels, I think that it's, it kind of sounds like a broken record for the last few off-seasons. Uh, the needs are healthy starting pitchers, and I think that continues to be the theme. Um 
it's not just the angels who have had issues with keeping uh, a healthy rotation, but I would guess that that's probably a focus uh, looking for some arms. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Billy Epler kind of came out and said that in his end of season wrap up, you know, that their, their main priority is to find you know, healthy, durable pitching, whether it be starting or relieving. Um, and it definitely makes sense. I mean, when you look ahead to to their projected 2019 rotation, I mean, Garrett Richards is, is going to be a free agent. Shohei Otani underwent Tommy John surgery, so he won't be available to pitch until 2020. Um, so that, you know, that right there deprives them of two really, you know, top shelf arms. Um, and, you know, Epler himself said that he he only believes that the Angels currently have three locks for the rotation uh, for next year. Uh, he wouldn't name them, but, you know, two of them are, are Tyler Skaggs and Andrew Heaney. Uh, I guess the third is kind of up for debate, whether you want to go with Jaime Berea or Matt Shoemaker um, or someone else. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there's clearly a need uh, for some depth. Um, and so I think that they're definitely going to be active in, you know, the free agent market. Um, you know, they'll probably look into the trade market as well. So I wouldn't be surprised to kind of see them connected to, to some of the, the free agents on the, you know, top of the free agent class, such as, you know, Dallas Keuchel, um, Patrick Corbin, who they actually originally drafted in 2009, um, you know, Charlie Morton, those kind of guys, if he doesn't retire, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be a need for them. Um, I think they've just been burned by injuries way too many times in the last three years, and it's really hurt them. So I think now they're kind of starting to come around to, to the fact that they should, you know, kind of invest in, in some durable arms and, you know, hopefully be able to avoid all the, you know, the injuries that have kind of plagued them and really prevented them from staying competitive uh, in the last couple of years. Yeah, the Shohei Otani news was unfortunate. I was a little bit, um, I don't know, I was a little irked, I guess, by how surprised everybody was by that news. Um, I think before the season started, there were reports that came out that there was something maybe not quite right about the elbow and he was going to try to pitch through it. Um, so that never, that usually rarely works out without any kind of, some kind of a surgical intervention. Um, but I, I'm also excited to see what he will be when he comes back from Tommy John surgery. There's such a success rate and guys tend to just come back stronger and it just almost seems like just a normal process of doing things uh, when it comes to pitching um, these days. It's, it doesn't seem to be a detriment. The only detriment, of course, is that you miss their um, contributions for a year. Um, but this is, of course, a unique situation in that um, they think that he might still be able to like maybe play uh, uh, on the on, to, to hit. So what's um, what's what do you where do you see that going? Yeah, so he underwent Tommy John surgery on the first day of the offseason. So that was October 1st, I believe. So, um, you know, the Angels haven't released a, a timetable for his return as a hitter. Um, I guess it's conceivable that he could be back, um, you know, by April. But, you know, his status for, for opening day is a little unclear at this point. You know, there really isn't a precedent for like a two-way player coming back from Tommy John surgery. So you right. know, it's, it's hard to kind of, you know, compare him to, to, you know, some other player who has come back from the surgery, you know, obviously uh, he throws right-handed and bats left-handed. So I'm, I don't, you know, I'm sure that that could be helpful in his recovery. Um, but I think that the angels do expect him to, to be available to hit at some point in 2019. And I think that that's going to be, um, you know, really important for the angels lineup to, to kind of get that, big uh, left-handed power bat, uh, you know, somewhere in the middle of the order uh, to pair, obviously, with guys like Mike Trout and Justin Upton. So, you know, I guess it's a little bit of a silver lining in, in that the there will be, uh, you know, Otani will be playing next year uh, in, in, a capac- in some capacity as a hitter. Um, and, you know, 
you know, I think that the Angels will have to find a way to kind of balance, you know, getting him at bats with with Albert Pujols, who can't play first base every day. Um, you know, so that's going to be something to watch. But um, he should have like basically, you know, once he's cleared to to return, he should have, you know, be able to be their full time DH. Um, and I think that's going to be exciting just to kind of see what he can do um, over the, you know, a sizable chunk of the season. You know, he was obviously impressive as a hitter and kind of his limited stints. Uh, this year when he was still doing the two-way player thing. Um, so I, I think it's going to be, you know, kind of cool to see what he can do now that he's going to get more consistent at-bats. Um, so I think he he is going to be an important piece of this team next year, you know, but it is a shame that we're not going to be able to see him pitch until probably 2020 because he can obviously be electric on mound as well. So you think it's a good idea for them to to look to making him a full-time hitter when he's recovering from this major surgery? <laughs> Call me a skeptic. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it, I mean, it, it, I think it seemed to work for them over the final month of the season. And, you know, that was when he already had his, you know, his injured UCL to the point where it required Tommy John surgery. And he seemed to be swinging the bat just fine. So, um, you know. Yeah, but they, but they didn't have to worry about, um, I mean, they didn't have to worry about like doing further damage. They were going to be fixing it. Yeah. I guess that's my, that's my issue that I have is like, how do they know that they're going to, that they're, this isn't going to uh, interrupt any kind of healing process? Yeah, I mean, I think Billy Upper has said that, you know, they're not going to do anything to, to kind of jeopardize, uh, you know, the health of his elbow. So I think if they're if they're not if they have any qualms about that, then they'll probably take a step back from the hitting. But I mean, they've kind of insisted that, uh, you know, swinging the bat puts doesn't put the same amount of stress on on his right elbow as as, you know, pitching does. So right. I don't know. I mean, this is just what, what the angels have said and what they, they have said the doctors have said. So um, I guess I. I'll trust that, but yeah, I think you know you're you're not wrong to to be a little skeptical here, especially just given the amount of injuries that they've had recently, and you know the track record with with pitchers and, and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I you know I'm not trying to dump on the Angels, but at the same time, just kind of, I mean, watching what has happened um, in their rotation in the last few years and all the Tommy Johns, and just I get it. I mean, I know this is a an issue throughout baseball, but I just feel like at, at some point you have to ask do the angels really know what they're doing when it comes to managing these arms? And I'm not quite sure the answer is yes, but I will, uh, I will give them the benefit of the doubt, but I really do hope that they're looking out for the best interests of Shohei, Shohei Otani. Cause quite frankly, I don't believe that the angels would be in a position to be contending next year anyway. Um, not in the division that they're in, not seeing what the Asians did. The Astros of course are not going anywhere and the Mariners are always tweaking things and trying to stick around. I just, I don't know. I, I just feel like Otani should just be shut down on both sides of his game and then, uh, you know, pick it up in 2020. I get it. They need him and Mike Trout to be playing together and possibly get to the postseason. But I just think that's, um, I just think it's unrealistic at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the Angels are definitely in a tough spot in terms of, you know, trying to stay competitive uh, in the AL West next year. Um, you know, it's, it's, become a really tough division and they have quite a few holes that they're going to have to plug. Um, you know, in addition to their pitching, they probably need some help at first base and catcher at least. Um, and they're kind of counting on a lot of young players to kind of step up and, and help improve their, their offense over their overall offense. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think they're definitely going to be, they're going to, this going to be a tough task for them to, to, you know, overcome, you know, all those rivals in the division uh, next year. Um, so it's going to be, yeah, I mean, they're basically in win-now mode since, you know, the clock on, on, Trout, on Trout's contract is kind of ticking and it's growing louder and louder. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, I'm, I'm curious to see, how, you know, how Epler approaches this this offseason um, and, you know, what routes he kind of takes to kind of plug all those holes. 
um, and, you know, you know what, how he ends up retooling this roster. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all in agreement that we want Mike Trout to be playing in October. So um, I'm all in favor of that. So let's, okay, one last topic. We want to talk about the team announced that it's opting out of its lease uh, at Angel Stadium, saying that 2019 will be the final season. This seems to be maybe a negotiation tactic, and I don't know that necessarily they'll be moving out of the ballpark next year, clearly. Um, so uh, just tell us what all that means and where do you see that moving forward? Yeah, so basically um, the Angels' decision to opt out of their stadium lease basically means that they're going to they're gonna play a 2019 at Angel Stadium, and then beyond that they're not locked in you know, anywhere, basically. So, you know, they could leave theoretically if they wanted to, but, you know, I, I don't think that they have, you know, another option, you know, available to them right now, or perhaps they do, I don't know. But, um, you know, so basically they're going to reopen uh, negotiations with the city of Anaheim after the November 6th election. So they're going to meet with the new mayor and the new city council and, you know, try to hammer out uh, another deal. Um, but, you know, if they don't, then I guess they could explore some other options around Orange County, around Southern California. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting. I, you know, basically, um, the October uh, 16th was the final day that they could opt out of their lease. Uh, if they didn't, then they were basically locked into Angel Stadium until, you know, through the 2029 season. So, you know, they, you know, the Angels just kind of said that the reason that they decided to do that was just because of the deadline and they wanted to kind of keep their options open. Um, you know, Artie Moreno had actually said last spring that he, they didn't think they were going to opt out, that they were going to stay um, at Angel Stadium, especially since they had just made some improvements with like the the scoreboard and the, and the stadium lights. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it could just end up being a negotiation tactic to kind of get some more money to perhaps make some renovations at Angel Stadium, which is the fourth oldest stadium uh, in the majors. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting, I guess, to see these how these negotiations unfold. The Angels had previously tried to work out uh, a new lease with the city um, in, I believe, 2014 and 2016. It had been unsuccessful. So they have looked into other potential sites around Southern California, most notably Tustin, uh, which is also in Orange County, and it's kind of, you know, pretty close to Anaheim. Um, but, you know, obviously it would take time to kind of find a new site, um, so it seems the likeliest outcome seems that they're just going to end up staying at Angel Stadium under a new lease with the city. Um, but, you know, we'll see what happens. OK, yeah, very interesting. I love that ballpark. I think it's a very cool I think it's a very cool place to watch baseball. So um, so we'll keep our eye on that. OK, Maria, thank you so much, everyone. Thank you for listening to MLB Extras with our Angels podcast. And we will catch you next time. OK. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.